Why, hello there, priests. You have found the hardest book review podcast there is, where we digest life-changing books. We shit out greatness, and we change our lives one book at a time. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Let's go. And here we go again. Welcome back. This is Troy Hollings with the Curiously Disagreeable Podcast. This is episode two of the Navalmanac. Navalmanac. Navalmanac? Navalmanac, that's fucking right. We're covering Naval's treatise. Naval Ravikant. Go listen to episode one. It'll fucking explain everything. He teaches us how to get rich without getting lucky. He throws in some philosophy, and he basically has the pin number to the Dragon Smog's bank account. It has been nicely and carefully collected by this by this former male model and Arnold Schwarzenegger's son, Eric Jorgensen. And today, we're going back. We're jumping right in. That's fucking all for the intro. Let's do this shit. Naval says, if you don't own a piece of a business, you don't have a path towards financial freedom. Now, Eric asks the question, now, Naval, why is that? Naval says it is ownership versus wage work. If you are paid for renting out your time, even lawyers and doctors, you can make some money, but you aren't going to make the type of money that gives you financial freedom. You're not going to have passive income where a business is going to earn while you're on vacation. You know, and I'm adding this, but it's it's true. Uh, you know, as a doctor, you you are paid per per. I'm trying not to like pop the pee, but fuck it, per. You're paid per butthole you inspect. If you stop inspecting buttholes, you stop getting paid. But you know, making a big fucking salary inspecting buttholes that is a great springboard to make that money work for you and invest in other ventures. You know. Even investing in a farm, rental properties, exchange traded funds, mutual funds, maybe some crypto, but probably not, um, unless you have a well diversified financial portfolio. Uh, but this is probably one of the most important points, Naval would say. Not the not the butthole part, but just the investing in some sort of business asset that grows. People seem to think you can create wealth, make money through work. It's probably not going to work. There are many reasons for that. One being, without ownership, your inputs are very closely tied to your outputs. More buttholes, more money. Now, if you buy a butthole inspecting clinic, I don't know what the, the medical term is. Colostomy? No, that's not, that's the bag. Whatever. I'm going to just go with the colloquial term. I know everybody just actually calls it a butthole inspecting clinic. If you buy a butthole inspecting clinic and pay other doctors, labor leverage, Naval would say, now you might get rich. And another good point, another reason of his many reasons why this this way is not as good as, as being part, uh, you know, an owner in some form of a business is you can't earn, he calls them... Uh, non-linear returns, but that's basically Nassim Taleb's idea of a non-lottery ticket. So Jordy sending that email that now he's living in Miami, he's fighting off fucking Bitcoin sluts. Seriously, he's just like, get away from me. I just want to be a prepper. Like, don't no, don't go in that closet. There's so many guns in that closet. That one email was a non-lottery ticket. You can't earn those in that butthole inspecting situation. You know, imagine you put in $10,000 into Amazon in 2003. It's now worth 600000 I didn't do the math, but go with it. 
you know, you never have the situation where you inspect one butthole, but it happens to be the king's butthole and you're set for life. No, you get paid $1,000 per butthole, regardless of how prestigious the hole is. And why is this? Well, essentially you're working for someone else and that person is taking on the risk and has the accountability, but they also have the intellectual property, the brand, and they're not gonna pay you enough. They're gonna pay you the bare minimum so that you don't leave. You know, if another clinic says, hey, I'll pay you instead of $1,000 per butthole, I'll pay you like you know, $1,250, you might not leave. But if there's a clinic that's like, hey, I'll pay you $40,000 per butthole, you're like, uh, I just, you know, I just would like to expand my horizons and move on to bigger and better things. And you immediately quit. So he says, you're going to have to start someday having some form of ownership in a business. And it can be creative. It can be, you know, stocks in a traditional company, you know, that Amazon example, you know, you could, you could just have gotten lucky, you know, stock options at a company, but he says, usually wealth is created by starting your own company or investing in early stage startups. Now, I think he's a little bit biased, but his point is good. Now we get into one of the craziest and obvious ideas, but important. So if you remember his little, his little maxim is, if you fill your life with specific knowledge, leverage, and accountability, then the gods will smile down upon you. So we talked about specific knowledge and accountability on episode one, but leverage, find a position of leverage. Fortune requires leverage. Business leverage comes from capital, people, and products with no marginal cost of replication, code and media. So we're gonna fucking explain this. Don't freak out, priest, we got this shit. Capital means money, okay? So that's one form of leverage, raising money. Labor means people working for you. You know, it's the oldest and most fought over form of, of leverage. Labor leverage will impress your parents. And then the most recent is, is code and media. So he's saying like this podcast, okay, there's, it's not like making shoes where if it costs $10 to make shoes, I have to invest $3 to make a pair of shoes. Uh, it costs me the same for a million people to listen to this as for five. So he's basically just saying to build wealth, you have to apply some sort of a force multiplier through leverage, some combination of that capital labor, labor or, you know, code slash media. So like, just like you can start a fire with a bow drill, a match really helps. And a match with lighter fluid really, really helps. So think of like, as we, as we walk into understanding this concept of leverage, think of like the lowest leverage business there is. Selling firewood. You know, even with a chainsaw and an ax, you're, you're basically turning one for one, turning calories into money. Now compare that to an email newsletter with 50,000 subscribers and you set up email automation to, to email them a bunch of offers and that turns into money. Like you turn those 50 calories of moving your fingers into $20,000. But think of how many calories you would have to turn into to have $20,000 in that firewood business. You are not going to get anywhere, according to Duvall, if you don't use leverage. So again, that's, that's not the 80 hours a week working at a restaurant. That's the employing five people, getting investors and opening another restaurant. But he's saying even that, that's the old way. Capital and labor are permissioned leverage. Everyone is chasing capital, but someone has, has to give it to you. Code and media 
are permissionless. So that's going back to, you know, if I want to use capital leverage, well, bitch, I got to have some capital. I got to have money. If I want to use labor leverage, I got to have for some reason, whether it's like I'm part of a gang and they, you know, they, they, they work for me through like kind of vaguely thin, like thinly veiled threats or, you know, but there has to be some reason that the labor works for me. I have to have permission, but code and media are permissionless. You know, I think there's a lot of people who would be like, don't start this fucking horrible, curiously disagreeable podcast. But I'm like, bitch, you can't stop me. You can create software and media that works for you while you sleep because leverage is a force multiplier for your judgment. And now this is where he just kind of like drops in witty aphorisms because again, this shit was actually like written on Twitter. Uh, He says, become the best in the world at what you do. Keep redefining what you do until this is true. So that's like the the Scott Adams talent stack that we've talked about before. But, you know, imagine if if you tried to win being funny. Okay, you'd have to be the fucking funniest comedian ever. Now, imagine if you tried to have like had to win being good at drawing. Oh, God damn. You got to be fucking Picasso or whatever. Now, imagine you have to win like understanding the corporate world. You got to be like a super successful management consultant. But if you combine all those. You know, all you got to do is be like kind of funny, kind of good at drawing and then kind of know the corporate world. And you can create a super successful comic that I despise called Dilbert, but everyone else likes it. So, yay. And I have to say, I, uh, this podcast is sponsored by Jack Daniels, one of the most American whiskeys there is. So Naval has introduced this concept of leverage. There's, there's labor, there's money. So there's, there's capital leverage, there's labor leverage, and there's technology, we'll call it. So let's just walk through that a little bit more. Okay, labor leverage. So Naval would argue that that's the worst form of leverage you can possibly use. He, he says, because it's, you know, managing other people's incredibly messy, you know, you're one short stop away from getting eaten or torn apart by the mob. Now, I will say that's that might be a little bit of bias on Naval's part. Like, I, dude, I fucking like managing people, man. You know, I just, you just be like, hey, bitch, I don't give a shit at all what you do. This, these are like this. These are the things you've got to fucking do. So, however you get this done, you got to do it. And then, as long as you've got a good attitude, you're nice and you're coachable. But you can do it. You can be your self-actualized self. So, I like managing people, but not everybody does. Uh, so, Naval says labor you know back in the day you know really really back in the day like you know you want to start a blacksmith shop you know labor was like the only leverage you could have um the next type of leverage is money so again you know money's a good form of leverage naval says it it means every time you make a decision you multiply it so it scales very very well so if you get really good at managing capital you can manage more and more capital much more easily than you can manage more and more people. So the perfect example is like, let's say you're a roofing contractor and, and you want to grow to be a like a $100 million roofing business. You probably have to employ like 500 people, okay? Now let's say that you want to grow to be, what was that number I said? 500 million? 100 million. God damn it, I can't remember. Uh, it's the aneurysm. Um, we'll say 100 million. Uh, and you just, you were just a, a financial advisor getting paid 1% of the assets you manage, you could be, you could be one person and you could, you could get paid that same amount because money leverage scales really well. But even that he would say is permissioned leverage. 
Because now with the fucking internet and the fact that this is in your earballs is technology. The final form of leverage is brand new, the most democratic form. It is products with no marginal cost of replication. That's the shoes podcast example. You know, it costs me $3 to make another pair of shoes. It costs me absolutely nothing for someone else to listen to my podcast. This includes books, media, movies, and code. Code is probably the most per- most powerful form of permissionless leverage. All you need is a computer. You don't need anyone's permission. Forget rich versus poor. Forget white collar versus blue collar. It is now leveraged versus unleveraged. So what all that is saying, it's like, you know, I wish that it was not this way because dude, I just, I'm really good at doing things hard, but not fucking smart. But he's saying, no matter how badass of a samurai you are, you cannot do the actions of 10,000 men. But if you're a general, you can command 10,000 men. You know, you can punch with the force of nations and with technology now, you don't even need 10,000 men when you can just conjure up a robot army from your fucking MacBook Pro. And he says that type of leverage, the type of leverage of products that have no marginal cost of replication, that is the most interesting and the newest form of leverage. But he says this is a weird concept because um, humans, we, I mean, we evolved in societies where there was no leverage. So if I was chopping wood or carrying water for you, you, you knew that eight hours of input would get you eight hours of output, you know? And, and even like today, like this, you know, this whole like got to work a certain amount of hours and everything, but a lot of these, a lot of knowledge workers, you know, we're compensated based on outcomes. So it's like, should we work eight hours? What, what if we get it done in four? Is that good? Is that bad? Um, and the vault says, now we've invented leverage through capital, cooperation, and technology. As a worker, you want to be as leveraged as possible so you can have a huge impact without as much time or physical effort. And this is this is where it gets crazy because this is where like like we talked about in the 80-20 principle, like our gut feel is kind of shitty a lot of times. And so we feel like, you know, 10% return compounded over 30 years is like maybe it's double, but it's like six hundred thousand dollars. Um, he says a leveraged worker can outproduce a non-leveraged worker by a factor of a thousand or ten thousand. So what that tells us is that is that this is really, really fucking important. This is the 20%. Okay. You know, it's like the hand sanitizer saying, you know, we kill 99.99% of germs. Well, what if the 0.01% of the germs is AIDS? It's the same thing with this. So what he's saying is, you know, that feeling of like work harder, do more, work longer hours, fill each minute, you know, that's good, but it would be better to spend a bunch of time thinking and then just move a giant fucking lever. And so the last way that he'll illustrate this, super good example, but he gives an example of illustrating each of these types of leverage with the real estate business. So imagine that you're a handyman, okay? The worst kind of leverage is is somebody who's, you know, their job is to do labor to repair a house. You know, maybe you get paid $15 an hour, You go to people's houses, you get there at 8 a.m., you hammer your nails, you have zero leverage, okay? None. Eight hours, everyone controls your life, hammer the nails, shut up, slave. The next level is general contractor. So maybe you work on the house for the owner. You know, maybe you get paid $50,000 to do the whole project, 
you know, and, and there, and then you pay the labor $15 an hour to keep the difference. You know, you're not hammering nails. So like, let's say there's some investor who's like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, flip these five houses and they hire you as a general contractor to do five different projects. Okay. You got more leverage because you can't obviously do all five yourself. So you hire workers and you know, you pay $15 an hour for the nail hammerer and you now have a little bit more leverage because you've got some laborers and you also have a little bit more specific knowledge you know you got to learn how to organize a team you know make them show up on time deal with city regulations be like guys okay i'm in full support and i believe that the war on drugs is a crime but you can't smoke fucking pot in our customer's house you idiot but the next level up is the developer so the next level up they might be the real estate developer you know they buy the property they hire a bunch of contractors and then they transform it into something of higher value so they buy an old rundown office park you know they clean out the corpses and the rust and then uh they turn it into a new trendy co-working space so instead of fifty thousand or twenty dollars an hour the developer might be able to make a million dollars in profit you know when they sell that office park for you know way more than they bought it but notice what's required from the from the developer a very high level of accountability the developer takes on more risk more accountability and has more leverage and needs more specific knowledge so now let's get another level up okay now let's say that you manage money in a real estate fund okay the next level up might be someone who's managing money in a real estate fund they have an enormous amount of capital leverage they're dealing with lots and lots of developers and they're buying huge amounts of housing inventory so you can see how wow you know you have to have more specific knowledge there but you got a lot more capital leverage and then finally his crowning example as he would say is think of zillow okay and zillow if you guys don't know is like some fucking business to help you find a house okay it's like google to find your next house the final level up might be someone who's who says actually i want to bring maximum leverage in this market with maximum specific knowledge i understand real estate i've been a handyman i've been a developer i've managed money before i'm going to create zillow now each level has increasing leverage increasing accountability increasing specific knowledge you know you're adding in money-based leverage on top of labor-based leverage and it's this fucking delicious concoction of gold and then with zillow you add in code-based leverage on top of it and it actually allows you to create something bigger and bigger and get closer to owning all the upside not just getting paid some hourly wage for hammering nails now naval brings up a word of caution and that is uh, one thing you want to avoid is the risk of ruin stay out of jail don't do anything illegal don't break your body stay out of things that could cause you to lose all your capital all your savings don't gamble everything on one go instead take rationally optimistic bets with big upside so like you're pretty sure that you can win that big contract if you fucking stab the ceo of your competitor don't do that. Not because it's wrong. You know, Naval grew up in New York. It's obviously fine, but because the risk isn't worth it. And he says, prioritize and focus over the long term. I've encountered plenty of bad luck. The first fortune I made was blown up in the stock market. 
The second fortune I got cheated out of. It's only the third time around that it's been a charm. Even then, it has been a slow and steady struggle. It hasn't been one giant one-off thing. My personal wealth has not been generated by one big year. It just stacks and stacks and keeps fucking stacking. That is what you need to do. Now, he brings up the great example of you need to value your time at a personal hourly rate. And I was really on board with this concept, but then I had six weeks of fun employment where I'd already had a job, but I just quit my other job because it's like, fuck it, I quit. And I had six weeks and I just drank a lot. I took pre-workout. I lifted arms a lot. I basically just relaxed and chilled. And um, I ended up, I found myself for a suspiciously large amount of time playing this video game Red Dead Redemption and I just would first of all it was a great game because you could just kill anyone and it wouldn't really mess up the story so I just like rampaged around was a total bandit and then I played poker inside the game Red Dead Redemption so like I get it Naval you're you make up good you make a good point but like you're a little bit under the assumption that we're always going to spend our time wisely so like I would think that know weeding your garden for three hours is better than just seeing how many people you can kill in red dead redemption without getting killed yourself so yes your concept's good but i think you can take it a little bit too far as naval does because he says he argues with his mom he says his mom will like give him a list like hey can you get the doorknob fixed and you can go get like the car oil change and he tells her i don't do that that is not a problem i solve uh, he, when she hands me a to-do list, I tell her, I just don't do that. I would rather hire you and an assistant. And then he fucking hires his mom an assistant rather than like paint her wall. Oh my God. And, uh, you know, actually that is similar to how my dad thought about things growing up. So like growing up, I never really fixed anything because, you know, and I'd say even now, my preferred method is just like fucking pay somebody imaginary dollars to make the situation go away. Like, just here's some money. Just fix my fucking wall. But I've learned it's a balance. Now, Naval carries on. And uh, this is something that we, we priests clearly don't have to worry about. But he says, if you secretly despise wealth, it will elude you. And then he goes in and he does like a lot of other positive affirmations about how like money's not evil, but I'm skipping that because I know that all of my priests out there, we are baby dragons just hoping to grow into smog and we all just want to suckle liquid gold out of Naval's teats. I don't think it's a concern, but hey, if you're scared of getting rich, stop it, Naval would say. Now, he moves on to, uh, again, you know, Duvall, he's just, we've just been in the midst of his firestorm of magical spells, and he's come off his wizard's rock, and Eric has delivered him another tea. And they're discussing a topic. What is your definition of retirement? And Duvall says, retirement is when you stop sacrificing today for an imaginary tomorrow. When today is complete, in and of itself, you're retired. Now, Eric wisely asks this great philosopher king, well, how do I get there, Naval? And Naval says, one way is to have so much money saved that your passive income, so without you lifting a, lifting a finger, covers your burn rate. And burn rate's like a startup term, but that basically just means like, 
what are your expenses to be alive? So, you know, imagine, you know, you got $5 million in an, in an investment portfolio and it, it just poops out $50,000 a year forever. You eat the little scraps and then you're fucking fine. So that's one way. Just get such a big bag that it's okay. The second way is to drive your burn rate to zero. You know, you don't even need 50000 because, bitch, you don't need a home. You become a monk. You're like, okay, well, I would just like one thing of rice, please. Thank you. But we don't want to do that shit. Uh, and of also a third is you're doing something you love. You enjoy it so much. It's not about the money. The way to get out of the competition trap is to be authentic. To find the thing you know how to do better than anybody. You know how to do it better because you love it and no one can compete with you. If you love to do it, be authentic and then figure out how to map that to what society actually wants. Apply some leverage and put your name on it. You take the risks and you gain the rewards. Have ownership and equity in what you're doing and just crank that bitch up. So that's like the guy. He worked as an HVAC tech, I think. I actually think that was his real job. Love fucking comic books, YouTube channel, comic books, bitch, $130,000 a year now. And he's got a limitless passion for it. But Naval says it's a process. Naval says, when I was younger, I used to be so desperate to make money that I would have done anything. If you'd shown up and said, hey, I've got a sewage truck business. Do you want to go into that? I would have said, great. I want to make money. It's great that Naval wasn't around when he was young with OnlyFans. Naval says, I'm always working. It looks like work to others, but feels like play to me. And that's how no one can compete with me on it. Because I'm just playing for 16 hours a day. If others want to compete with me, they're going to lose because they aren't doing it for the love of the game. You know, that's like me lifting and, and reading books. It's like, well, how do you stay so dedicated? It's like, well, bitch, I mean, do you ever ask a heroin addict how he stays so dedicated? Like, wow, how did you smuggle drugs into the recovery center? Like, that's so much dedication. Bitch, I love this shit. You know, I, I'll do extra horrible workouts on holidays just because it's fun. You know, like if you're having to drag yourself in the gym and, and you hate every second of it, I'm going to win. And that's what he's saying. <sighs> he's back off the rock. He's drinking some tea. And then Eric brings the conversation to a an incredibly mind-blowing and important idea. Because this whole genesis of this whole fucking gobbledygook of magical spells mixed with gold, this, this fucking how to just build a perpetual motion machine is how to get rich without getting lucky. So Eric again wisely asks, you say how to get rich without getting lucky. Can you explain? And Evol says, in a thousand parallel universes, you want to be wealthy in 999 of them. You don't want to be wealthy in 50 of them where you got luck. So we're about to walk into the, just the great Monte Carlo simulation of life, and it's absolutely insane. Okay, so there's two concepts. There's average return, and there's standard deviation. Okay, so average return is over like 100 years. What is the average that this asset's going to return? So a lot of people look at that and they're like, huh, okay, well, if that's the average, next year is probably pretty close to the average, but it's not true at all. You know, the average is built with years that are up 30, years that are down 50, years that are up 10, five years where it's up one. And so that is, so standard deviation 
is where you round out the concept of like what's the variability because if you're trying to build a portfolio but this also applies to just like living your life what you want to do is you want to find the strategy that has you know we're not trying to build the one where on average it's going to you know it's going to return you 20. we're trying to build the one that in 999 out of a thousand trials you die with enough money so what that means is we set up a system and like maybe in isolation so like this next year that system returns five percent but everybody else's financial advisors they you know they're returning ten percent but that's not the game we're playing okay we're trying to be the juggernaut from call of duty okay it's like a cockroach okay in in a thousand lifetimes how many of those you know species go extinct species come back you know but if you ran the next 100 years a thousand times how many of those trials would have cockroaches all of them why because cockroaches don't fucking die okay so that's what we want to be and you know i was actually talking about this it's just the Jordy podcast. Um, but I was talking with, about this with, with Jordy because he's hardcore into Bitcoin. And I was trying to tell him that like, you know, we, we got to, yes, you know, uh, finding Bitcoin, like if the thesis at Bitcoin is going to be a million dollars and it's like truly life-changing new technology that is as disruptive as the wheel. Some people say that. If that's true, great. But think of Bitcoin as like an oil well, Okay. So imagine that all of a sudden it's 1960 and you're going and you're finding, you know, you're in the Middle East and you're, you're finding oil. You find an oil well, okay? The game that I'm trying to play is I'm trying to be that cockroach, okay? I'm trying to be in 999 out of a thousand parallel universes. I can take that, that goo, that oil from the oil well, and I can turn it into a sustainable life. But there's going to be temptation. There's going to be Bitcoin sluts. There's going to be, um, you know, there's going to be people that they take that. They say, oh, shit, look, we found oil and they're going to get leveraged and they're going to get, uh, you know, they're going to open 50 oil wells and they're probably going to be right. And so, you know, you're going to be there with your one oil well that's pooping off $200,000 a year. And then maybe you like smartly and, and, you know, and very safely. Now you own two oil wells. And, and, you know, now you're pooping out 300,000 and you're going to, you're, you're going to be looking over to your left and you're going to see DJ Khaled and he's got 50 oil wells and he flies everywhere, flies everywhere with a helicopter, but he's incredibly leveraged because no one can predict anything. So maybe turns out, well, how cool would it be if you owned 50 oil wells and then all of a sudden, uh oh, Elon Musk just figured out battery cars so that is what naval's saying okay he's saying you want to be that cockroach you want to be the one that in all the fucking trials you still have made enough money you know some you get super rich some you don't but how to get rich without getting lucky is his whole thesis holy shit what does he mean by lucky well thanks for asking you're welcome there's four kinds of luck there's blind luck so the first kind of luck is blind luck that's where one just gets lucky because something's completely out of their control. You know, you win the lottery, you inherit money, your boss dies, whatever. Okay, we obviously can't control that. The next type of luck is hustle luck. You know, this is that luck through persistence, through hard work, through hustle, through motion. Uh, you know, this is when you're just running around creating opportunities. 
you're generating so much energy that you're just you are going to stumble across things you know you're generating just enough force hustle luck's going to find you so this is prospecting in sales you know whether whether it's email campaigns whether it's cold calling it's the law of large numbers you call you call enough people you are going to find somebody you, especially if you do like a little bit of thinking you, you like you call enough CFOs and you're like hey is your ERP system fucked up and if it is do you want it to not be fucked up you call a thousand of those people you're gonna find like 50 of them that are like oh my god yes that is hustle luck the third type of luck is judgment a third way you get very good at spotting luck is judgment if you are very skilled in a field you will notice when a lucky break happens in your field and other people who aren't attuned to it won't notice so great example the nutty buddy so i've talked about this before but uh you know i don't know if any of you guys have been kicked hard as fuck in the balls while wearing a cup uh like the cup you get at walmart that's just a triangle it's not much better than getting kicked hard as fuck in the balls with just your balls uh you know it like just cobra venom in your fucking gooch it's so painful but i uh, was watching sports science long long ago and uh i i saw this nutty buddy and it was a cup but it had uh, two ball pouches and this guy advertised it and uh he would he would get a, f- a major league fastball pitching machine to drill him in the nuts no pain and uh so i got this as my cup and dude, I'd be I'd be full on inside leg kicked in the penis, and uh, it was no problem. Like people would look at me like, "Oh my god, I'm sorry, I kicked you below the belt," and I I would use my nuts to block. Okay, and me, I'm on the forefront. I know how transformational that technology is. But if you know if if I can parlay that into maybe I go work as a sales rep for the nutty buddy, or maybe like hypothetically I start that company. You know, I just. I just happen to have such good judgment like, hey, I've been kicked hard as shit in the nuts with a Walmart cup and then kicked hard in the shit, hard as shit in the nuts with a nutty buddy night and day. So we can use our judgment and get very good at spotting that fringe opportunity that's that is the future. But the fourth and most difficult type of of luck, which Naval says is the best, is become the type of person who gets luck and that's just that that's like the fucking opaque advice that i wasn't really ready to understand when i was a financial advisor like i'd walk into my boss's office and be like okay uh, what do i need to do and he'd just be like become the type of person who people want to invest with and i was like bitch just tell me who to call but that last kind of luck is the weirdest hardest kind where you build a unique character, a unique brand, a unique mindset, which causes luck to find you. You know, for example, let's say you're the best in the world at deep sea diving. You're known to take on deep sea dives no one else will try. By sheer luck, someone finds a sunken treasure off the coast deep in a trench. Well, their luck just became your luck. So think of Joe Rogan. You know, he's a jujitsu black belt. He's a master conversationalist. He's a great comedian. And uh, he just he just he just attracted the idea of being a UFC commentator to himself. Because like, who are you gonna pick? You know, the guy who actually is a jujitsu black belt and a professional talker, or like Ned over there. Like think of, you know, any of a hundred opportunities that combine comedy, talking, fighting. He is he is the natural choice. 
In this fourth example, luck becomes your destiny. So if you are a trusted, reliable, high-integrity, long-term thinking deal maker, when other people want to do deals but don't know how to do them, they will find you. <laughs> okay. Jordy. Jordy's boss, Anthony Pompliano, Bitcoin uh, thinker, philosopher, investor. Um, but anytime that Bitcoin does anything crazy, he gets called on CNBC because he's built that brand, that reputation that is this is the guy that he meets that just he meets the criteria of being being funny enough that people will watch him but not being like too weird you know he doesn't have like blue hair so you know all the 60 year olds are like this bitcoin stuff is bullshit We're like what well, young man seems to know what he's talking about and so just by being him he's he's attracting luck that is what naval says we should try to do and in this last part of the how to get rich section. He closes with be patient. He talks about great people. He says, one thing I figured out later in life is generally great people have great outcomes. You just have to be patient. Every person I met at the beginning of my 20 year career where I looked at them and I was like, wow, that person's super capable, so smart and dedicated. All of them, almost without exception, became extremely successful. You just have to give them a long enough time scale. It never happens on the times go you want, but it does happen. So what that tells us is we just need to focus on the process. You know, become a fucking kusemono and one day a chariot of gold will arrive and give you the opportunity to engage in hunting other men for sport. Because if we apply specific knowledge with accountability and leverage, eventually we will get what we deserve. Well, holy shit. We got one more episode in the bag. That ends the how to build wealth section, how to get rich section. And then the last part, the next and final episode here, he talks about building judgment. Okay, this is his his direct from the horse's mouth, you know, Smog's magical spells, how he lives his life, how he goes about and makes decisions in this crazy fucking world. But if you want that, if you want that pin number, dog, if you want that them secret key codes, you're gonna have to tune in next time on the next episode of the Curiously Disagreeable Podcast. Thank you. Thank you very much. And that's my pretties is another episode down of the Curiously Disagreeable Podcast. Check us out at curiouslydisagreeable.com, the Troy Hollings on Instagram, or wherever the fuck you get your podcasts. The end.